Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself. Learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey friends, it's Rena Olson. Welcome to the Relevate Podcast. As if parenting teens and young adults wasn't challenging enough, along comes a pandemic to make it even more interesting. Because anxiety is really just a root of like fear or confusion or things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's become such a buzzword that everybody uses it. And they're like, I have anxiety. Everybody has it. Right. And I'm like, you're feeling anxious. That is my friend, Kimberly Scales. Kimberly is a life coach specifically for teens and emerging adults. Kimberly is here today to help us understand more about the 14 to 25 age group and how we can better love and support our young people through this pandemic and beyond. Kimberly Scales, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Thank you for having me here. This is exciting. Thank you. I know. It's super exciting to hear about kind of your next phase in in the journey about you being a life coach for teens and emerging adults. That is very, very cool. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, looking back, I've always done that in the disguise of other things. So now it's like, just like, okay, I'm going to step out and like do this for real. So. So to get started, how do you describe yourself? Oh my gosh. As I've gotten older, I've kind of realized that I'm a lot. I'm a little extra. I feel like I'm always kind of, always. I know, I'm always kind of making that excuse, but that really translates to being passionate. Sure. Um, and I think that's one of the words that a lot of people describe me is that I'm very passionate. Um, just like being, that's my greatest strength that can obviously come out in some not so good ways. But at the end of the day, I'm very passionate about what I care about um, in this particular, you know, that age group, that 14 to 25 age groups. Mm-hmm. So I'm very passionate. Um, I'm an encourager. So I, I try to encourage the best that I can. I'm kind of a visionary. So I'm always looking for new and exciting ways to bring truth um, to the hearts and minds of this particular age group. So I've always very early on knew that I had a heart and a passion for, for high school students. Um, as I've gotten older, that kind of grew into more the college age, young adult. But ever since I can remember, I was always working with students, particularly in service, taking them out to do local missions, letting them realize they had so much to offer. And so right now, my husband, he's involved in youth sports. Um, he's also had like 34 years in the military. So he's as pretty much high up as he can go with that. So super proud of him. And then um, my son is a um, first-year student for veterinary school. And then my daughter is um, finished, is up her senior year in special education. She wants to work with high school students as well. So many adults hire life coaches for any number of reasons. To gain a competitive advantage in business, to achieve a healthier lifestyle, to boost leadership skills, whatever. But you saw the need and opportunity to coach teens and emerging adults. Let's talk 
about this unique niche you now occupy with your coaching business, Investing in Lives. Please tell us more about that, Kim. Well, like I had kind of said earlier, I realized I've been doing that my whole life. I just didn't know that it was called life coaching. Um, It was just, you know, loving on kids where they were and helping them along the way. As I had to look at transitioning from leading a nonprofit that I founded for 12 years, that's when I was looking back and going, okay, this is what I've been doing. So just like with when I began my nonprofit, I started doing research. What was out there? Who provided these kind of services? Um, There's a lot of counselors. And there's definitely, I have a counseling background. I have a master's in counseling. But a certain, the skill sets and some of the training that are involved in being a counselor, that just, that wasn't the path that God led me down. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of research to find out like who's out there, who's doing this. There's a lot of career vocational kind of thing as it relates to going to college. A lot of career, I mean, college counseling, college coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, But there wasn't anything When I look back and I spoke to some of the students that I had led and got to know over the years, I realized that I was really kind of helping them with like heart and head issues. Um, but what's so cool is that in one of our earlier conversations, Mm -hmm. you and I sat down, you, you kind of talked to me early on Mm -hmm. and kind of just gave me a lot of questions to consider. One of the things was, you know, what have you learned over the years? So truly, and you may not even know this, I sat down, Mm -hmm. I looked at that. What have I been teaching what truth have I been speaking into students for all these years and I came up with 10 life truths and 10 life skills and those life truths and life skills have become the basis for my life coaching so through getting to know a student or a young adult I'm able to see like where are they at with that and then we create a plan and we start working on those things oh my gosh that is just so so very cool very cool. And, you know, my kids are, are grown and we've navigated the public schools. And I, I felt just in looking back that there was so much emphasis on academics or yeah. sports, but you're missing out on the whole head and heart thing. Mm-hmm. I think I think you are right on with with identifying that that niche and really kind of being a mentor, coach and friend to these mm-hmm. yeah. to these kids. And we all know at some point, kids kind of become tone deaf to their parents. Yes. Especially (laughs) at that age. And, you know, so to have kind of a, you know, a third party that can kind of help them figure some of this stuff out. What a a blessing you are to those families. Yeah, absolutely. I experienced that with my own two children, the rolling of the eyes, the tone deaf. (laughs) And so it, you know, I... Haven't we all? Yes, we have. Yes, we have. But it gets better, doesn't it? It does. I'm seeing little glimpses of that as my mind get older. But I think it's just always... Asking permission first with your young adults is very important. I know. So we were talking a little bit about what you do when you're coaching the kids. Mm-hmm. And you you said you, you check in often with them. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what is the check-in and, yeah. and how that works. Well, I would say like one of the hardest things, and I'll kind of talk on the business side for a second. Yeah. One of the hardest things that I realized is that when you have to price out like your services and that yeah. kind of stuff. I hated that because it limits me to like almost my involvement with Mm -hmm. the student because I have to have to set boundaries for my time as well. Um, But I have realized, especially depending upon how often I'm meeting with the student, that just texting them regularly, being available for a call. So like for for this evening, I have a, a little girl who just started high school and, um, she's having a great week, but she's like, Hey, can we get on the phone and talk this week? 
for just to check in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So I want to make sure that I provide that and mm-hmm. I that I'm I, willing because some students don't need that as much. So I just have found that sometimes just having that check-in, whether it's a text or a quick phone call, um, even if I just send a song or a scripture verse or even just a quote or just a bit emoji. I love my bit emojis. <laughs> so I'll send something with me and it usually gets a laugh out of them because I have a really great bit emoji. Just to check in with them and make sure they're okay. And I'm finding, I actually updated my website today to say that as part of what you receive with my coaching, that right now that's crucial. Right now with what students are going through, the vibe that I'm getting, having a check-in with them during this kind of pandemic season is even more so important than normal. So true, so true. As you mentioned, you've spent your life loving and serving this age group, teenagers and emerging adults. Why this particular audience and what is important for us to know about teenagers in general? Oh, me. Um, First of all, for me, teenagers and young adults, they keep me young. Sure. They keep me young at heart. So I think, in essence, that's one of the things is that they do keep you young. You know, they know more than what we think they know. Yeah, they do. Um, they're a lot more, I don't want to say that I wasn't savvy at that age, mm-hmm. but I think just with technology and so many other factors, they kind of, they do, they have a lot of knowledge and understanding of things. They see things in a way that maybe we didn't. So I, I tend to kind of trust them a little bit more with what mm-hmm. they say. Um, they just, they just kind of know a lot more. Um, they're very innovative. Um, they have a lot um, they have a lot of feet like they, there's a lot of feelings in there a lot of times, but they're just trying to figure out how to manage it. So that's one of the, the biggest things that I do as a life coach is, is helping them kind of manage those and navigate those and um, how to communicate that. But I would say the biggest thing about this age group is that they know a lot more than what we think they or we give them credit for. So what would you say the biggest misconception is about adults and their perception of teenagers? I would argue that is that they probably care and are concerned more than what we think they do. They're just a lot of times because the world is so much more now, and this is Mm pre-COVID, so um, it's just so much more. What do you mean by that? You know, I hear a lot of parents, and I'm an old school parent. My husband Mm -hmm. and I are old school parents. We're from the South. You can just make up your imagination about how we parent. He's military, so there you go. And so while I was so stuck, like, this is the way we are, and my children were just on the cusp of social media. Mm-hmm. So while I just was like, we have to do it this way, this way, this way, I also kind of left out the individuality of my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for parents, it's like, yeah, this is the way we used to do it. And we, there's a lot of that that we still need to continue to do with our, parent, with our parenting. But we do need to look at the world and what our kids are up against now from a culture standpoint. The, the information they have coming in mm-hmm. is a trillion times more than we mm-hmm. ever had. Yeah. And I think just being, I think we can still parent kind of old school ways if that's how we parent or whatever, but we have to take into consideration the amount of information mm-hmm. that these kids are getting, getting these days. It's just overwhelming. Right. And that's just reality of the times that we're living in. And I think as parents, we can, you know, put good boundaries in in place to limit some of that. But the reality is just they're saturated with it, primarily through social media. It is. And I think boundaries, I mean, that's kind of a buzzword that people use. But I think, um, I think 
that is harder and harder for parents to do, but it's more needed now Mm -hmm. more than ever. And it's kind of like you don't give your child the fork or the knife before they're able to handle it and be responsible to cut their food with it to where their motor skills are to the point that you can give them the knife Mm -hmm. to cut their fork. Otherwise, they're going to cut their finger off. We have to have that same mentality as they get older is what can our children handle right now? Mm -hmm. Um, I'll never forget, you know, our son um, was very responsible, you know, Eagle Scout, got all that stuff done. Mm -hmm. But when it came to driving, there was just something in his brain that just wasn't clicking. Mm -hmm. And we had to have that conversation, you know, like, Mm -hmm. we know you want to drive, but there's just something in there that we need the dots to connect before. And so anyway... He started kind of with his learners and driving, and then he realized himself. He said, something's not, I'm not, I don't feel safe here. I need to wait a little bit. Uh So he even backed it off. And so, again. That's impressive. But there were, but but there's just different things in maturity, and we have to realize not to give our kids choices Mm -hmm. to handle things before they truly are ready to do that. Right. And you see that with kids. Another example is when parents send their kids off to college. Like, are we sure? Are they ready for that? That's why gap years are getting to be such a big thing. So um, we just need to hold our ground and stick to those boundaries. Because the undeveloped teenage brain is a very real thing. It's a very real thing. And even though they may look like adults at a very young age, that brain continues to develop like well into their their 20s. Isn't that right? Yeah, especially for guys. They're going to be a little bit later. And I haven't done a lot of research on this, but I've been to a few workshops and things like that. I think the verdict is still being, the data is still coming out of the result of social media and technology on the child's brain as well. So um, I think in the next few years, we might be seeing some interesting things about Mm -hmm. the effects that that's having on the, there's probably even some studies already out there um, of what that looks like on, you know, the brains of children and teenagers and young adults. Stay tuned. We'll have a a follow-up conversation on that. Yeah. I know that's, that's a concern for a lot of parents, for sure. Yeah. Screenagers, if I can put a plug in for something, mm-hmm. it's just a doctor who really realized that with her own children. She's a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. She's put some great things out there and actually has a movie about like all that, like a documentary. And um, it's called Screenagers. It's called Screenagers. And she has like a part one and a part two, and she has great information. I've subscribed to the lo- newsletter, mm-hmm. share that with parents. Um, she actually posted something on the sidebar um, the other day about the algorithms that TikTok uses that impacts, they really kind of screen things to affect how um, kids feel about their body image. It was very interesting. And I was like, wow. They will actually, anyway, it's really interesting. Take a listen to it. The words of our parents ring in our hearts and our heads for a lifetime. What wisdom from your parents have you passed on to your two children and also the teens that that you are coaching? Mm. If you could please share, Kim. Yes, the biggest one would be, um, there's two sides to every story. The truth is always in the middle. Oh, yes. Um, that has never been more true um, in, in everything in life. Sure. Workplace, ra- ra- you know, raising kids, um, relationships with friends, your family, extended, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So to me, that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned um, from my mother. I had, was born in a um, single mother home. My mom was a... She was 18 when she had me, so she was like 22 and had a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So I learned a lot of lessons through her on hard work and stuff like that. 
But um, even my brother and I would agree that was probably the biggest lesson that we learned. Um, and then I kind of remember um, on a kind of more spiritual note, I'll never forget just because the way my dad's absence in my life, I remember him coming to me and him just making sure that um, through his growth that he was so wanting me to understand my heavenly father and how much he God loved me. And he wanted to make sure that my view of God was not the same view that I had of him. And he was like, you know, God and I are different. And the way I treated you is not the way God treats you. And so I was probably extremely thankful for that. I know, pretty powerful. Wow. And how old were you when, when you and your dad had that conversation? Um, it was much later. My parents divorced when I was five. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was 13, um, kind of got that stamp of rejection on my heart from my dad mm-hmm. that, that preceded all the years oh. of hard work and refinement and all that kind of stuff. But I was probably um, probably in my college years, maybe, when he had that conversation, early adult. He just wanted to make sure that I was okay with God and that he didn't want me to not have a relationship with God because the absence of our relationship. That's really powerful. It was very powerful. That he helped you connect those dots. Yes. Like the same person who wounded me in that way mm-hmm. was the same one who wanted to make sure I was okay. Did, y- did y'all, were y'all able to kind of repair your relationship after that? We have. Um, we have. Um, life kind of gets in the way. And you have to work really hard at that. Um, he doesn't live close by. He's not a technology person, so it's not like we FaceTime and things like that. But I think we just have a really good understanding, and we respect each other. He knows I love him. He know I know that he loves me, and we've kind of accepted like we're never going to like be around each other all the time necessarily. But um, I think we both probably I'll cry a little bit. I know you brought the tissues. I think we both grieve that we missed out own a lot um but I don't want to say we don't have time for it mm-hmm. but I just you know it's just gotten a little bit more complicated but neither one of us have any regrets I think at this point and the fact that you were able to put together a relationship that no parent-child relationship is perfect but yeah. um just to have your dad's presence in your life I yeah. think that is just so important and um just a word of encouragement for people who are who are going through divorce, find a way to co-parent your kids well together because it just, it matters so, so much. I I hear it time and time again. You know, you just gotta, you gotta do it for the kids. Yeah, and even though my dad was absent and it was a very ugly, you know, divorce and circumstances, there were drugs and alcohol and a lot of different things involved. My mother being, you know, as young as she was, I mean, my mom's 68, you know, so she's very, still very, very young. She never spoke a harsh word about my father in front of us. Never once. Wow. Never once. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I did not see her cry until much, much later mm-hmm. in life. So she was very stoic. But I do respect her for never, ever speaking an unkind word about him. It was amazing because mm-hmm. she could have. And I can imagine it wasn't easy for her to take that route because yeah. I think, you know, a lot of times in that situation, your kids kind of become your your partners and you you, yeah. sh- you overshare too much with yeah. your kids. Yes. And I oh, think totally. back to those boundaries, you know, it's just important for us as parents to remember we are always the parent first. Well, don't even get me started on that. That's not what we said we were going to talk about today. <laughs> but that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves that I truly 
coach students through a lot. Mm -hmm. But when parents overshare, they turn their children into parents. Mm -hmm. I I have a really, really hard time with that. And I've coached I've coached a lot of students over the years through that whole thing. Yeah. So parents, if you're listening, I mean that's that's tough medicine to hear, but but important. Important words of advice from somebody, Kimberly Scales, who was in the trenches with the teenagers and really um, just picking up so much wisdom from the kids. Yeah, this is and not they coming tell it the way it is. It is, know? and this is not coming from me. Right. This is my experience that I've had with them, and it's really, really sad to see kids be stuck in that position because it's not a good position for them to be in. No, no. It's very confusing. Yeah. And just, you know, my kids are older, so, you know, once you get to that point, they're in their 20s, you can kind of ease into being friends and buddies. Mm-hmm. You know, that relationship definitely changes, but... It, there's a season for that, mm-hmm. and it's not when they're teens and emerging adults. I mean, they still need a parent to, to help them to help them navigate life. Well, I'll never forget when my daughter turned 18. She's like, Mom, can we be friends now? You told me when I got to be 18 <laughs> we could be friends because, you know, we were like, we are not your friends. We are your parents. Friendship comes later. And so <laughs> she and I, like, she'll say, we're friends now, you know, because she hit that 18-year oh, mark. that. Yeah, it was really sweet. There's a season for that, parents. Yes, so just, yes, just yes. Stay in yes, the parenting yes. group. You can be friendly towards your child, but it doesn't mean you need to be best friends with your child. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's talk about anxiety mm. and our young people. Do you think it's gotten worse due to the pandemic? I think it, I think in different ways. I mean, anxiety can manifest itself in different ways, depending upon how we're wired. It's, it's really interesting because I was talking to a student recently who's about to go off to college, and my daughter and I have talked a lot about this. And then one of my former students, she's now a professional counselor, and she and I have talked a lot about that word of anxiety and its use mm-hmm. of it right now. Sure. Because anxiety is really just a root of, like, fear or confusion or things like that Mm -hmm. but it's become such a buzzword that everybody uses and they're like I have anxiety I have everybody has it right and I'm like you're feeling anxious Mm -hmm. like what just happened and so working with the student who's about to go off to college it's a scary time I get that and I made her realize or we kind of through our talking it really wasn't anxiety that she was feeling that's what the world has taught her to use Mm -hmm. it was really more she was just nervous so I have There's a different. There There's is a, a difference. big difference. So I don't like when a student says I have anxiety issues and things like that because there are true anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like there are some ser- you know some diagnoses that need to be put in there. But I kind of I'm not a fan of putting labels. There uh, you go. And I'm like you're experiencing anxiety because you're mm-hmm. scared of this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. But to label yourself as, I have anxiety, I have anxiety. I'm like, I don't want to make it like this noun that we have to possess. It's a feeling. So, yes, are people feeling more anxious right now? Absolutely. But you can work through that. That's why the check-ins are important. That's why understanding that, knowing how to renew your mind, taking those thoughts captive, Mm -hmm. talking to people, having safe places, you know, all those things can help with that. But right now what I'm seeing is the anxiety, the anxiousness is there because of fear of the unknown, of the changes, um, disappointments. Students right now are having to deal with disappointments left and right. And um, just before I came over here, I decided, well, I had been decided I was going to do like a little monthly email for my students, which is like a little lesson or something. Uh And this month was resilience. Mm -hmm. And... um, 
They're having to, their lives have been, I mean, for some students, not a lot, but it's been relatively kind of, you know, we parents have tried to make life easy for our kids and now it's not. And they're having to practice resilience on steroids and they need those tools and the resources and the conversations to help them practice that, to alleviate that anxiety, that fear, that um, feeling overwhelmed, you know, all those kind of things. And how great that we we are preparing them for life Mm -hmm. because as an adult, we need to be more resilient. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something we always need to be building and working on. So to be having those life lessons instilled in you when you're a teenager, I think it's just um, it's just so powerful for for kids to be getting that type of coaching from somebody like you. Well, you know, also with all of that, just I know that the loneliness, you know, is kind of there. You know, you have those students who, and the young adults who thrive on people, yeah. so they're not able to have that. Then you have some who are, will, res, will withdraw if given the chance, but they need people too. I mean, we're not meant to be alone. Different, we need different people in different kind of ways or the numbers of people we need is really more. But um, so the situation is just, I mean, everybody knows this. I'm not saying anything new, but I think the effects and things like that, um, as we get deeper into this pandemic, we'll start seeing some, you know, some more stories. Definitely. I mean, I just think back to when I was a teenager many moons ago, it was just such a highly social Mm -hmm. time in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just, you're just going, you're cheerleading, you're out of the house, you're dating and all of that has kind of just come to a screeching halt for our kids, which is sad. Yeah. I was talking to a, a senior the other day and she was talking about all the things that they missed the end of her junior year, and she's going to miss this year. And I said, okay, so it's moments that you're going to miss out on, but you and your friends can create some moments. Sure. So let's let school settle for the next couple of weeks, see how things are going to roll, and then let's come up with some ideas that you and your friends can create some solid moments because that's what you want to remember. And so we kind of have a plan in the next couple of weeks of putting together some moments that yeah. she can you know, present to her friends that they can remember this, you know, this season by, so. And, you know, it, we'll get through this. This will pass. It's definitely something we, we will never forget. Absolutely. um, Absolutely. There's lessons to learn. And I feel there is, there's positive adjustments happening because so many of us have just been overbooked. Our kids have been overscheduled. It's, you know, the pace for a lot of people was unsustainable on a lot of levels. So, yeah. you know, hopefully we are, we're having some readjustments that ultimately result in healthier families and behaviors. Yeah, I, I, that's a, one of my biggest prayers right yeah. now. That's definitely to be, to be seen. Yep, to be continued. Okay, so we talked about these three tips you mm-hmm. have for parents and parenting during a pandemic. Kim, if you could just share more about that, that'd be Okay, you hold me accountable, make sure I get them right. I rehearsed them in my head. The first one is just to be careful. Right. Um, I think we as parents need to be careful what we say in front of our kids, what we do. I've had to learn that lesson the hard way because I'm an outward processor, Mm -hmm. and the majority of my family is not. Mm -hmm. So to say that I've gotten on their nerves is an understatement. Um, (laughs) And then we also have to know... um, this kind of, you know, leads into some other ones. But we just have to be careful. We need to know how our children are wired, 
Um, and what we need to be careful what we say, what we do, our actions, um, because they're going to pick up on it. And, and, you know, my kids are, you know, young adults now, but children are smart. Like when I went back yeah, to the beginning yeah. and they know more than what we do than we think they do. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to be very careful. Our, our behavior, our thoughts, um, how we're interacting in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, we just need to be really careful right now. Okay. So number one is be careful. Yep. And the second one is be intentional. Um, and that one I think has gotten me a little bit too, because my mind tends to be racing a lot with different things. And my daughter, especially a couple of times would tell me something. I think one, it's combined with my age, just what's going on in the world and a whole bunch of things, but we need to be very intentional about listening, putting our phone down. One of the best things that I have done is I do not watch the news anymore. Yes. Yes. But then my daughter she confronted me. It's like, no, you don't watch the news, but you'll scroll through some different things on your Facebook and read articles. So I was like, you know what? She's right. I mean, I'm not spending as much time doing Mm -hmm. that, but I'm still putting more things in my head. And so those first few, you know, months of the pandemic, when we were alone, we had so much good time. And then as life picked up, you find yourself getting back in some some of the same routines and habits again. Mm -hmm. And so be very intentional, listening to your kids, being present, look them in the eyes, um, continue to spend time with them, um, be intentional with yourself, Sure. give yourself what you need so that you can be what your family needs as well. Spending some time with friends. It's just really interesting how everybody is kind of doing life on their own. You have to be very, very intentional to spend time with your friends and, and things like that. So be intentional would be the second one. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. And number three, number three was being understanding and sensitive. And this kind of goes into, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned as a parent, but really understand how your spouse, your friends, your parents, your aging parents, Mm -hmm. how they're wired, what they need. And with your children, specifically with parenting, all of our kids are going to be able to handle and process this in different ways. And that disappointment thing is coming left and right. And so me understanding how my children are wired really, really helps me in communicating with them right now. Mm-hmm. So we need to understand them according to them right. and not ourselves. I see a lot of parents trying to make their kids do what they want them to do so that they feel okay and safe. And I'm like, wait a minute, but you're, again, you're the parent. So we just kind of have to do a daily check of ourselves um, and be under, are we being understanding? Are we being intentional? Are we being really careful with what we're saying? We're doing that kind of stuff. And um, right now, I mean, normally it should be a daily check for ourselves, but right now, I mean, it's probably a couple times a day we need to be checking ourselves. Well, and I know for a lot of parents, if you have a child that is a 180 from you, it's mm-hmm. it's hard because you think your way is the right way. And, you know, why are you not cleaning up your room if you're a clean person? It's, it stretches us to really reach deep and try to understand your kid for the way that God made them yeah. and, and quit trying to view them as you would view yourself. Yeah. I think that, that was probably one of the hardest lessons that I learned as a parent. And I learned it 
Um, my daughter's a senior, so I learned it um, her sophomore year of college. And now looking back, you know, I had to really apologize to her. I did not understand mm-hmm. a lot of her behavior. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've had lots of conversations about it. And she swears to me, I haven't scarred her for life. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> that was one of the, that's one of the questions I asked my kid. My son was going into college. My daughter was a senior in high school. And I said, how have your dad and I messed you up? Let's just figure it out now so I can get it. But they reassured us that they were pretty good. But um, I did not understand her because she was so different from me. And um, it was a her sophomore year of school was very difficult for us, mm-hmm. extremely difficult. And um, because the way she's wired, she understood me a whole lot more. That was part of her frustration is that why can't my mom understand me? You know, like I said, there's two sides to every story, sure. truth in the middle. But I can humbly say that it was more me mm-hmm. um, and just understanding her. through. So through a lot of years, other people that she turned to that were able to speak truth to her, she had three very important people who could help mm-hmm. her along the way. We were able to sit down and talk it through, and I could apologize. And I don't always mm-hmm. get it right, and I let her know. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to figure this out. But um, I now just kind of know what words and what she, or lack of words, she mm-hmm. needs to hear from me. So I just would really encourage parents just to really humble yourself. And refinement is a lifelong, and sanctification is a lifelong process. But I don't want to get to heaven one day and God say, I entrusted you with my child, and you just never did anything for, to be, a you know, like we think we do parents, I think sometimes. And um it's more than that. It's really you just have to get with the Holy Spirit and just really beg him to speak into your heart because when I get to heaven, there's two things that I really, well, probably three, that I want God to say, you did a good job. And the wife thing, I don't always get it right either. Mm-hmm. I want to know that I did a good job as a parent, and then I want to do, I do want to think that I did a good job with the purpose that he put in my heart to do. So, that kind of the fear of God sometimes is a good thing. And so I'm just like, <laughs> keeps you on track. It does. It? it does. So that's beautiful. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. And I think that's so, such powerful advice you give us in, in encouraging us to be okay with apologizing to our kids mm. sometimes. None of us have a, a playbook on how to be a parent. And we do make mistakes. We all do, you know, and to be able to just look your child in the eye and say, I'm sorry, I, I got that wrong. I mean, that is that is healing and that's powerful. And that's, you know, that's what God wants for us, you know, to be able to to mend that brokenness because it's, it's going to exist somewhere yeah. and it takes a whole lot of bravery to be willing to, to kind of go there and be vulnerable with your kids. But wow, so powerful, Kim. Yeah. My daughter said recently when I found myself apologizing again, she was like, she says, you know, like, she'll say, yeah, you apologize because you used to not do that. So I think they they kind of remind me every now and then it comes through about what I used to do back in the day. Well, it's that parenting. It's it's the hardest job. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I still don't get it right, but it's. It's certainly thankless at times, but it's it's amazingly mm. rewarding yes, as absolutely. well. So, and we're all a work in progress. <laughs> so, I mean, and that you know that would be the encouragement to my listeners. It's like let's just be you know intent on getting better mm-hmm. and learning, continually learning. I don't care how old you are, you know. Absolutely, we've all got we've all got a whole lot of room to be better. Well, and you know this. 
as soon as we think we got something figured out, we end up, <laughs> there's something else that comes out, you know, we're like, oh my goodness. So we work on that. I know. Well, let's go back to that uh, pandemic that we're still in the <laughs> oh, midst of. Oh, we got of. one of those? Yeah. <laughs> and the additional stress it's putting on mm. our teens. If you could help us better understand from their viewpoint what you're hearing from these kids and how it's, how it's um, affecting them. And I guess you use like an emotion chart or something. To yeah, you know, I think back that. to like the anxiety thing, you know, mm-hmm. Kids get, I say kids, but we're talking, you know, teenagers, young adults, they get kind of stuck on certain words. Anxiety is like the word. There are, anxiety is just one word that describes like fear. And so, um, so with that chart, it sounds kind of elementary, but I've, I've, every student I give it to, they love it. One, because I'm trying to give them words to be able to communicate with their parents. Mm-hmm of how they're feeling because they don't really more specific that is more specific so the words that I'm filing on that finding out that they're using on that chart is like unsure Mm -hmm. uncertain Mm -hmm. there you know there's that fear numb is a word they're using like they just feel numb because things they just don't they don't know what tomorrow is going to do or how Mm -hmm. it's going to change so that's what it is so I'm I'm finding them they're kind of like almost paralyzed a little bit, you know, like they're moving forward, but yet there's not a lot of them. Um, there's almost like a lack of emotion. And so that check-in that we were talking about mm. earlier is that can That's go two different ways. And so, um, but, but then, then three days later, they've had a crying attack and, you know, I'm checking in. Are you crying? Are you eating? Are you arguing with your parents? There are some key words that, um, you know, I don't know if I said, are you sleep? You know, like key words that I can ask that give me an instant anxiety check mm-hmm. for them, you know, um, and then we pull out, we whip out the chart. So again, how your child is wired. And even if your child is someone who tends to go with the flow and can be appear like mm-hmm. nothing's going on, that's why those check-ins are very important because you just kind of want to keep your, keep a tab on things. Yeah, that's so good. I need one of those charts. I'll, I'll, put, I'll email one to you. Yeah, it's really good. I really enjoy them. The numb thing. I mean, it's like, because teens are usually not numb. You yeah. know, they're, they're all over the place with everything. So numb, that's really a, an interesting observation. That, well, and even the ones who are really optimistic, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be part of some temperaments too. And they are, you know, someone who's really outgoing and very social, and they're able to be back with their friends, but then there's a change or a new rule that's put on them about who they can be, you know, like, let's say a pandemic rule or something, they kind of will have a meltdown, you know, so it just really depends on how your child is wired, but I'm finding that there's more opportunities for something to kind of catch them. And they either withdraw, or you're going to see them kind of go over the top. Mm -hmm. So even your most optimistic ones they can get kind of somber yeah at times too so it's just again knowing your child knowing how they're wired doing those check-ins and when something changes in their life that could affect them kind of swooping in and having that conversation or directing them to you know a mentor or somebody in their life that can help them and with it being back to school time and so much talk and so much debate about do we send the kids back to school? Do we do virtual learning? What words of advice can you give parents about really monitoring the temperature in the house and the tone they use when they're having these discussions? You know, it's the so... The importance of that? 
Yeah, I think having that open dialogue, you know, I'm not in the space of like going, you know, my, both my kids are in the, on the other side of elementary and high school. I think what I'm hearing a little bit from parents is that because their kids are so different, one can't learn online, one can, that balancing act. So I, I, hear, I hear that a lot, just in the workroom or where, whatever. And that just instantly increases tension and bandwidth, the emotional bandwidth that people have. So I think fam- families just need to have a plan. And that's just kind of coming to me right now. What is our action plan? Are we going to come together at dinner and just talk through this? But I just feel like, and I'm pretty sure everybody would agree, even for myself, you know, patience is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. And if yes. there is ever a word that I think describes what I need and what I need to give right now, and that is grace. If you don't have a home that operates as a grace-filled home, you need to find it and implement it quickly. Not mm-hmm. even grace for your family members, but grace for everybody, teachers, administrators, mm-hmm. leaders. Um, if there has never been a season where we need grace more than ever, I think it's right now because nobody is going to get anything right, right right now. And we're in unprecedented times. Absolutely. I mean, nobody nobody really knows what tomorrow's going to bring. And, you know, to, to just be able to extend grace to those that we share life with, that we live with under a roof, and, and, and kind of the teachers and all of that, mm-hmm. that's just... That's just really, really good. Yeah. Parenting is hard, 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 hard work. What advice do you have? Because I know your your focus is really on, on coaching the teens, but we need to be lifting up the parents too. Yeah. Any words of advice for the parents on how to kind of keep their cup full during this time and the importance of, of that? Well, I think knowing what keeps your cup full, that's extremely important. Again, maybe talking as a family about that stuff. You know, how can you get filled up? How can you? Dad might need to go escape by himself to the golf range. You know, like, mm-hmm. what does mom need? I need to spend a couple times with my friends, right. you know? So um, I know it's hard. Time is this weird little thing right now um, as far as just the demands on that from this whole new situation that we're going through. Um, but again, I feel like having some plans in place of how you can continue to be filled up yourself so that we can all be the best version of ourselves right now for other people that we can. Um, Again, it's being very mindful of yourself and, you know, you're the parent. So it is ultimately your kind of responsibility here. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, kind of going back to teen talk in general, that, you know, I just think teens get a bad rap from adults, you know, the, the selfie generation and how they're, um, they're more self-absorbed than ever. But I think it's not only the teens, it's, it's us as a society. What are some things we can do to get ourselves out of that space? You know, this is, this is the heartbeat of, of kind of behind what I do. And I teach a life prep class at a local private school, and I was literally telling them today because they have service requirements, and we were had them looking up, like, what is a servant and mm-hmm, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I posed two different things is that, you know, for those who are listening, if you're, you know, if you're a God person and 
follower of Christ, then ultimately he was the ultimate servant. Sure. So if we're made in God, his image and God's image, then we have that DNA. Yes. And it's just kind of like a lot of things, like you don't know if you're going to be a musician until you pick up an instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know if you're going to be the star athlete until you start that sport. You don't know you're going to be really good at science until you step into that. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that we do know is that our DNA, that one thing that we have in common is all of our DNA has the DNA of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. And he was a servant. Sure. So we just have to try something. And it's almost like that DNA instantly gets activated. And I've heard it time and time again that how excited kids get when they serve Mm -hmm. because they come alive. Well, why do you come alive? Because literally Jesus is coming alive in you when you serve. So try anything. It looks Mm -hmm. different for everybody. Um, It doesn't mean you have to go on a mission trip to Africa. You know, it can look very different. Um, So that would be the the biggest thing. It's just how we're we're made. Mm -hmm. And we just need to let go of the world a little bit give up ourselves to do something for somebody else. And we know how good it feels when we do that. So we just need to do it. And then the other thing, in a world that tells us in a culture, and our, our kids are in that more than ever, is that it's all about them. That's what this says. And serving, and by my opinion, is the only thing that you can do that is not about you. So it's pretty simple. And I think... You know, during the height of the pandemic, a lot of the nonprofits were closed. Mm. A lot of those opportunities to serve as a volunteer were, you know, momentarily paused. But the nonprofits are struggling, y'all, because of the, you know, the inability to have events. I mean, there's, you know, I I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of nonprofits in crisis. Oh, for sure. Because of, you know, just the economic reality, Mm -hmm. you know, people's 401ks have have plummeted. So we really, everybody needs to be leaning into the nonprofits. Find something that resonates in your heart and get connected. Absolutely. You know, just pray on it, reach out, find, find something and get involved. I mean, they all, all need volunteers and um, yeah, it is it is such a way to get your your cup filled up, and it's a great thing to do as a family. Too. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And there are a lot of opportunities out there. You just have to. Sadly, I do believe that if flood had still been around at this time, we probably would have transitioned to have opportunities for families to go out and do things mm-hmm. together. At least providing that we wouldn't have necessarily set them up, maybe. But um, there's like you said, you just have to kind of figure it out. Where can we go? What is the heartbeat of our family? And I know a lot of families who's actually been out doing some stuff over the last few months. So um, right now, when we're in this season of our lives changing, we're thinking about ourselves even more, maybe just do something for somebody else and just not think about it for that day. Make some cookies and leave them on your neighbor's doorstep with a note saying, you know, I hope you have a great day. Yeah. Don't even sign it. Mm. It's just the little things, you it know, is. that right can now really, yeah. really help somebody. So, so good, Kim. So I have one last question for you. So the word relevate means to uplift or restore to good spirits. In closing, what words of advice do you have for my listeners as it relates to uplifting and restorative parenting? Oh, restorative parenting. Um, I think one of the things that we do have to kind of um, well, I mean, maybe that's just your good filter. 
that word, the uplifting, that, you know, we all kind of have things, we filter things in different ways. And so for whatever reason, I got the, I got the, the uh, sifter came to my hand and how you put things in the sift and you mm-hmm. sift it in order to get like the things that you need to do whatever yeah. baking or even like with gold. I guess yeah, that's one of the, the things I know I'm thinking all of a sudden gold came. And so I think it's always having that sifter and that filter mm-hmm. um, that you can put in place that is having solid friends. Like we just talked about ways to be whole, to keep yourself filled, having, you know, um, one of the things that I've kind of started with a few of the students that I have, like, what are the life truths that are your go-tos? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. this is where you stand. Having those statements, those decrees, that whatever you you need in those areas that you can go to and check yourself. Like, is everything that I'm saying uplifting to my family? Am I mm-hmm. creating a rhythm of some silence so that I can you know, rest or whatever. So what are your filters going to be? What are the things that will filter, uplift you um, to where you're the best? Are we laughing in the house? Oh, that, yeah, very much so. Are we engaged in activities as a family? It doesn't have to be all the time, but pull out a board game and Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. be together as a family and honestly we talked about you know I mentioned like this family plan if you especially sit down with your family and like you know we want to have a, fa- a home that is as uplifting as that can be especially mm-hmm. right now what are some things that we can do your children will give you a thousand of them right. um, and so but then also do that personally mm-hmm. make sure that you are doing what you need to that you can that you can be uplifted so that you can then in turn pass that on to your kids mm-hmm. Such great words of advice. I love what you're doing and your heart and just how you are carrying the banner for servant leadership and loving on these kids that uh, probably a lot of times are not very lovable, but, but that you're standing in the trenches really helping them to figure it out. What a blessing. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thanks, Rena. So if resilience is the name of the game for parenting during a pandemic... How can we reframe the conversations we are having at home with our kids? In a recent email Kim sent out, she challenged us that our kids have got this and may very well become the most resilient generation ever. Hang in there, mom and dad. You too have got this. You are stronger and more resilient than you know. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.